your prayer also this morning uh, that as the Lord uh, has given us his word that our hearts would be ready to receive of the word that he has spoken. And so with that in mind, let me invite you to open your Bible with me to the book of Matthew chapter 5 where we will begin this morning, Matthew 5 verses 17 through 20. Every generation believes it is superior to the ones that have come before it. But uh, the saying goes, those who do not know history are doomed to repeat it. And as we think about the state of the church today, I think that is uh, especially true. As we are in the midst of our sermon series, Remembering the Reformation, we are remembering something that happened 500 years ago. Uh, today, as we uh, come towards October 31st, is the uh, official recognition of the beginning of the Reformation. 500 years ago, yet it is still relevant today. Perhaps if more churches would reflect upon what happened then and what was at stake at that time, then perhaps we would not see our culture in the shape that it is in today. The five solas of the Reformation, Latin phrases that summarize the importance of the Reformation, and we are in the midst of a sermon series looking at those specific solas. Today it is sola scriptura, which in Latin means scripture alone. And what we need to take away from this today is that we are to submit to scripture alone as the final authority on matters of Christian faith in practice. It is the scriptures, the written word of God and the written word of God alone that serve as the final and sole authority on matters of Christian faith and practice. And our Lord Jesus Christ declares this to be so. Let me invite you to stand in reverence for the reading of God's holy word. So we open up with Matthew chapter 5 starting at verse 17. These words were written by Matthew under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus speaking, and he says, Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For truly I say to you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray together. Father, we do do praise you, God, for who you are and what you've done for us in Christ Jesus. We also express, God, our gratitude that you are a God who speaks and you you have given us a a sure and certain word, a true and trustworthy, powerful, authoritative word. We thank you, God, for the scriptures. We thank you for the, the, the precious treasure that we have in the Bible. We pray, Lord, today as we've opened up the Bible that you, God, would open our minds, open our hearts, help us to understand the truth, help us to embrace it, to love it, and also, God, to live it out. Father, speak to us through your word today as the Holy Spirit moves and applies these truths to our hearts. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 
You may be seated. As we begin to think about sola scriptura, and we begin to think about scripture, we refer to the Bible rightfully so as God's word. And what we have in the Bible is this this picture of the Word, the Word written, and also the Word living. John chapter 1, verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then in verse 14, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so what we have in Jesus Christ is the embodiment, the, the living Word of God. But what we have just read in Matthew chapter 5 is that the living Word, Jesus completely affirms the written word, the scriptures. And Jesus said, I did not come to annul what has been written. I did not come to annul the the law and the prophets, that which has been written. I did not come to annul but to fulfill. And then he speaks about until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke. Again, what has been written Jesus said, I did not come to do away with that, but it shall remain. And so as we talk about the Word of God, we we talk not only about the words that God has spoken, but the Word that has been given to us, embodied in Jesus Christ, and in the Word that He affirms that has been recorded in Scripture. So as we talk about God's Word, we are talking about especially what has been written And so why should we as Christians uphold this concept of Scripture alone? Well, first of all, because of the truth of God's Word and the Trinity. God's Word and the Trinity. In fact, all three persons of the triune Godhead are involved in giving to us this written Word of the Bible. In fact, first of all, we see that the Father is the speaker. He is the speaker. Every time we come to the Bible and we have here these words, it is God the Father speaking to us. We know that God speaks, Genesis chapter 1, verse 3. God, in in the beginning of creation, saw the darkness, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. So what we see is a basic tenet of our Christian faith. We have a God who speaks, a God who communicates, a God who declares, lets his mind and his heart and his intentions and his will, he declares those, he speaks those. He lets these things be known to us. And so we have God the Father speaks to us in the Scriptures. But we also have the Son as the subject. The Son of God is the subject of all Scriptures. In Luke chapter 24, we see this. Jesus, in, after the resurrection, appears to two of his disciples walking on the road to Emmaus. And he shares with them in Luke 24, verse 25 and following, O foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken, in all that has been recorded. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. The word scripture, of course, means what has been written. We have the the root word script in there. And so God has given us a written word, and that word is all pointing to the person and the work of Christ. Again, when Jesus appeared to his disciples in verse 44 and following of Luke chapter 24, he said to them, 
These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all the things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and rise again from the dead the third day. So Jesus affirming that all of the Bible, God's words, God's plan to redeem fallen humanity, it is all about Jesus. It is about the Son of God. All of the Bible, the Son, is the subject. Finally, the Spirit is the source. The Spirit is the source. Peter speaks about this in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20 and 21. He says, But know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. And so we have the Word of God in, in the, the mind and the heart of the Father and then embodied in Jesus the Son and the Word pointing to the Son of God and the Holy Spirit inspired men of old to write these things and the Holy Spirit today applies these truths to our hearts. And so the Bible, the Bible is in all the result of the work of the Trinity now, in my library, you'll notice I've got several hundred books in there. I love my books. As a preacher, your books are your tools. Uh, they're instruments, instruments of your trade. And, and so uh, inside each of my books, I've got a stamp that, that I stamp inside the cover. It says, Property Of. Uh, property Of Myself. And, and so I do that, so that way I would know what books are mine. Sometimes I borrow books from people or from the library. And so the inside of the cover is my stamp that reminds me this is my book. Inside your Bibles, you'll see usually on one of the first pages there that uh, a place for you to put your name. This Bible belongs to or presented to and your name there. But in, in reality, what we can put inside the cover of our Bibles is the stamp from God where God says this is my book property of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The Bible truly is God's Word. It is God's book. And so when the Bible speaks, God speaks. And the Bible as God's Word, it carries all of His attributes, all of His characteristics with it. And so when we read the Bible, it is God's Word. But also God's Word was given to us given to his community God's word and his community scripture the written word of God is given to God's covenant people to us who belong to God the word has been given to us as a wonderful perfect treasure we see first of all his word is revealed it's revealed we read this in Deuteronomy chapter 29 verse 29 the secret things belong to the Lord our God means there are some things that we just don't know some things we may not know until glory but then again he is God and we are not there are maybe some things that we will never know because we are not God the secret things belong to the Lord our God but the things revealed belong to us and to our sons forever that we may observe all the words of this law that God in His grace has chosen to speak and to reveal Himself to us. He has revealed His mind, His heart, His will, His intentions. He has revealed to us our sin. 
It's also revealed to us our Savior, Jesus, His Son. God's Word is revealed. What God has given is for our benefit. But also God's Word was remembered. Remember, John chapter 14, verse 26, Jesus, the night before He was arrested, or the night He was arrested, before that He was spent those last few moments with His disciples in the upper room sharing the Last Supper. We will commemorate that with our Lord's Supper here at the end of our service. And He was preparing them for His departure. And He had spent the last three or so years instructing them, teaching them, living with them, demonstrating for them what it means to be a, a follower of God, a disciple of, of the Lord. And, and so undoubtedly they were probably they're probably scared thinking he has taught us so much he has he has shown us so much there is no way we could ever completely remember all these things and jesus graciously affirms to them in john 14:26 but the helper the holy spirit whom the father will send in my name he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that i said to you so the disciples were promised even though Jesus was going to be physically departing from them, the Holy Spirit would come and would remind them and teach them and show them everything that Jesus intends for His church. And so as the Father reveals His will, as the Holy Spirit brings to remembrance these things to the disciples, what we have before us now is His Word recorded. His Word recorded. Paul reminds Timothy of these things in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Paul says to him in verse 15 that from childhood you have known the sacred writings. Again, what has been written? The sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. And then he says about these sacred writings all scripture is inspired by God. All Scripture, all that has been written in the Bible, it is all God-breathed. So God has revealed Himself to us through the prophets and then through the apostles, and they have recorded for us in written form, they have inscripturated for us the words of God. So that what we have in this Bible are the very words of God revealed to us. What we have in the Bible is God speaking to us. They have been recorded for us so that we would know the mind and the will and the intentions of God, that we would know the truth of God. In fact, Romans 15.4, Paul says that all these things have been recorded for us. All these things have been written down for our benefit. So God has graciously given us this beautiful treasure we have probably at some point in time you have played the, the game, I believe we call it telephone, where one person whispers in somebody's ear a statement and then that person is to take that statement and then whisper it into the ear of the person next to them. And some, sometimes along the way, oftentimes along the way, that initial statement somehow gets distorted and it comes out on the other end a, a completely different statement. But what we have in Scripture is for us not something that's been just orally passed down to us that could somehow be lost in transmission. We have a written record. We have the Word of God recorded for us through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. 
But then God's Word is only recorded for us. God's Word is to be repeated. It's to be repeated. As Paul has demonstrated to Timothy, these sacred writings are able to give us wisdom that leads to faith, leads to salvation through faith. And all of Scripture, all that has been written, is inspired by God. It is God-breathed. All of these writings are from God. And then Paul tells Timothy, with that conviction, verse 1 of chapter 4, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing and His kingdom, preach the word. Preach, proclaim, herald, trumpet, speak forth loudly, clearly, plainly, powerfully, preach the word. Not just words, the word. Not just a word among many words. Preach the word. What is the word? The sacred writings, the God-breathed, inspired scriptures that have been written and recorded for us. God has given us this word so that it might be preached, so that it may be heralded and it may be heeded. God's word is for His community. It has been recorded so that it would be repeated accurately and faithfully so that His word would have a powerful impact to bring about His community of faith. Here in Kentucky, we are entering into a very sacred and holy season for us. It's basketball season, once again. I say that kind of tongue-in-cheek, but in reality, many people do worship the round ball around here. Unfortunately, we can get carried away with that. But the, the beautiful thing about basketball in our state is it doesn't matter if you're Republican or if you're Democrat. It doesn't matter if... Uh, if you're rich or you're poor or you're black or you're white. The wonderful thing about basketball in our state is it unites us around something. Now, some of y'all uh, outliers are weird and you don't, you don't enjoy our love for Kentucky basketball. You may even root for other teams. But for the most part, it unites us, does it not? It builds community and what God has given in His Word is a perfect treasure that unites us on an on a even deeper level than that of sports. God's Word brings believers together and it keeps the community of God, it keeps the church of God grounded in truth and it keeps the church focused on mission and what we are called to do. We are called to repeat the Word of God and let the Word of God do its wonderful, powerful work. Which leads us to our third point, God's Word and its vitality. Vitality. The Bible, because it is the Word of God in written record, the Bible is unique from all other books in human history. The Bible has an origin different than and unique from every other book. And the Bible, therefore, contains a power that is unique and different from every other book in human history. Why is that? First of all, the Bible has the power to save. God's Word, the Gospel, has the power to save. Romans 1.16, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the Gospel. I am not ashamed of the good news. I am not ashamed of that Word from God. 
that has come to us. Why? Because the gospel is the power of God for salvation to all who believe. The gospel, the good news, what has been faithfully recorded for us has the power, and it alone has the power to save. It is the gospel. But also it has the power to sanctify, to make God's people holy. Jesus, in praying to the Father in John 17, 17, He says, Sanctify them in the truth. Sanctify means to make holy and to make more like Christ. Sanctify them, set them apart, make them sacred. Talking about His people, the church, sanctify them in the truth. And Jesus says, Thy word is truth. It is the Word of God that makes us holy. It is the Word of God that transforms us. It is the Word of God that equips us and gives us the direction and the power and the strength to do what God has called us to do. It is the Word of God that sanctifies us. Thy Word is truth. His Word is the standard for what is true. How do we know if something is true? or How do we know if something is an error? It is the Word that does that for us, the Bible. But also it has the power to sustain, to sustain or to satisfy. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, we are told that man does not live by bread alone, but for every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And if Scripture, all Scripture is God-breathed, it proceeds from the mouth of God. Man is not to live by, by worldly things alone, but man is to live truly as intended by the Word of God. By the Scriptures, we find life, we find sustenance, spiritual vitality, we find satisfaction in the Word. We find everything we need, sufficiency in this Word. Think about Jesus Himself even quoted this. When He was tempted by Satan in the wilderness to turn the the stones into bread so that He might satisfy his physical hunger, Jesus said there is a hunger that is even more important than this. And there is a food that can only satisfy, and it is the Word of God. And Jesus quoted Deuteronomy 8.3, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. It has the power to sustain our faith and to satisfy our souls. It also has the power to scrutinize. God's Word has the power to scrutinize Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. The author there of Hebrews is challenging the community of faith not to to go backwards. In the face of persecution and pain and difficulty, not to abandon the Christian faith and go back to a religion that they once participated in and practiced in Judaism. And he he is challenging them and he is warning them not to go back. And he says in Hebrews 4.12, For the Word of God is living and active. No other book in human history is living and active. The Word of God, the Bible, is living and active. It is sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of the soul and the spirit of both, both joints and marrow as a sharp sword is able to sever the, the, the bone and the muscle in the human body, so too the, the Word of God, the sword of God, is able to divide and pierce as far as the division of the soul and the spirit and able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. As God's Word is true in our lives, oftentimes 
are not. God's Word brings that conviction upon us. It is living and it is active and it judges the intentions and the thoughts of the human heart. No other book, no other book, no other institution is able to judge the human heart. But the Word of God and the Word of God alone. It alone has the power to save. It alone has the power to sanctify. It alone has the power to sustain. God's Word alone has the power to scrutinize. That's why we hold to this doctrine of sola scriptura. Scripture alone, no other book, is God's book. And God's book is intended for us. Growing up, I like to watch a cartoon called He-Man. And you know, he was supposedly this ordinary dude, Prince Adam. And, and, and suddenly, when he would hold his sword up, and by the power of Grayskull, he said, I have the power. And he would transform himself into this hero, although he looked exactly the same. And I never understood that. It's kind of like Clark Kent and Superman. You know, all he had to do is take off his glasses. Look, it's Clark Kent. No, wait a minute. Now he's Superman. No, it's Clark Kent again. You know, I never really understood that. But anyway, He-Man had this sword, and this sword had the power to transform himself into something other, something more powerful. God's Word alone has the power to transform a lost sinner. A lost sinner into a, a beloved saint. God's Word alone has the power to take a, 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 a cowardly saint and make them a courageous and bold saint. God's Word alone has the power to make you what God has intended for you to be. And you and I have the power, and that power is not in here. That power is in here. It's in this book. God's Word alone has the power to make us into what God wants us to be. It is alive vitality. But finally, we see God's Word and His authority. And that was the main issue of the Reformers. Who has the authority to say what is true? Who has the authority to say who is saved? Who has the authority to say what we, what we need to do to be made right with God? Where does that authority lie? Does it, lie does, it, does it lie in the Bible and the church? And the clergy? And the traditions passed down in the church? Where is the ultimate final authority? And the reformers said it was in God's word and God's word alone. And, you know, as a as a child, I always wanted to have that last word. You know, you're, you're arguing with your parents, bickering back and forth, and you want to have that last word. But the problem was, I never could get the last word. You know, was, the reason why is because I didn't have the authority to have that final word. And now that I'm a parent, I finally get to enjoy that authority. <laughs> but the final word is always given to the one with the greater authority. The final word in matters of faith and practice is God's word. Why? Because it is God's word. It bears His authority. If it is God-breathed, it must be true and it must be powerful. It must be authoritative. All Scripture is inspired by God. All Scripture is God-breathed. So therefore, God's Word and God's Word alone has the power to save, to sanctify, sustain, scrutinize. God's Word is the final authority. And because it is, there are some things we must do. First of all, we need to test with Scripture. We need to test whether or not something is true or not. We need to, to test whether or not we are faithful to God's Word, and whether or not the one who is proclaiming God's Word is faithful to the Word of God. Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15 and following, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet. One, a prophet is one who speaks on behalf of God. 
He'll raise up a prophet like me, Moses said, from among you, from your countrymen, and you shall listen to him. This is according to all that you asked of the Lord your God in Horeb on the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God. Let me not see this great fire anymore, or I will die. The Lord said to me, They have spoken well. So the people said, We can't hear directly from God. We need a mediator to bring God's word to bear. We need a mediator to share with us, to speak God's words faithfully, truthfully. In verse, verse 18, I will raise up a prophet from among their countrymen like you, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. It shall come about that whoever will not listen to my words, which he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. So God says there's a responsibility upon those who hear the word of God to obey the word of God. There's a responsibility if it is God's word declared in written form and if it is God's word faithfully proclaimed verbally, if it is God's word, God's people are required to obey. But, he says, the prophet who speaks the word presumptuously in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or which he speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. There's a responsibility on my part, on the part of anyone who dares to stand up and proclaim, thus saith the Lord, there is a dire responsibility there to make sure that prophet gets it right. And how do you know? And I've told you this before. How do you know if what I'm preaching to you is true or not? How do you know? Are you just going to take my word for it? Brother Todd's a pretty good guy. I don't think he'd lie to us. How do you know? You know by this. This is how you test. This is how you discern right from wrong, truth from error. It is not what this says and what I say. It is this and this alone, sola scriptura. That is where the church got so off track in the Middle Ages. The teaching was, well, the Bible is true, but you have to rely on the church to properly interpret that for you. In fact, the common person could not even read the Bible for themselves. They didn't have it in their own, their own native tongue. They had to rely on the church's interpretation for them. They had to trust the clergy. They had to trust the institution. And there was the fault. We are called not only to test with Scripture, we are to transmit the Scripture to transmit it. That means that we take the gospel that God has given us and we declare it. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1, Paul says, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel, the good news which I preach to you. So Paul was preaching a message which you have received and which you also stand, by which you are saved if you hold fast. So Paul said, I preached the gospel, you received it, you need to hold fast to that word which I preached to you. Remember he told Timothy, preach the word. What was the word? The scripture, the God-inspired, God-breathed scripture, the sacred writing. Paul preached that to them. And Paul says, hold fast to that which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for sins according to the scriptures. So Paul said, it was written that Christ was to die for your sins. 
and that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. So what has been written, what has been written, that the good news that Paul preached, that word was this, that Christ came to die for sinners. And that Christ was raised the third day for our salvation. So Paul was transmitting that word from God to that church. And because it was recorded for us, now we are called to transmit that same word, that same gospel, that no one can be saved in God's sight apart from the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And our personal saving faith in Him and our repentance, our turning from sin. No one can be saved apart from that gospel. And we have received that gospel. We are to transmit that gospel. How do we know if what we are transmitting is accurate or not? We've got this book. We have got the written Word of God. And as long as we are faithfully transmitting this, we will faithfully transmit the gospel. Because this book is the gospel. It is the good news that God loves us and saves us from sin through the person and work of Christ. And so what we are called to do as individuals and as a church is this trust, trust in the Scriptures. Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of Christ. Faith comes by hearing. Saving faith comes by hearing the Word of Christ. How do you hear the Word of Christ? Through this book, the Bible. Saving faith, sustaining faith, comes by the word of Christ. So we are saved and we are sanctified and we are sustained by the very words of God which is recorded for us in the Bible. And so what you and I are called to do is to trust in that so that we would be saved. And then as we transmit that word to this lost and dying world, we are to trust that word. That means what we are called to do is faithfully transmit it and then don't try to add anything to it don't try to make anything more of it and try to, to, to prop it up and build it up. We just, we just transmit it and then we trust it. Faith comes by hearing the Word of Christ. We give them the Word of Christ and then we trust Christ to do what only He can do. So as a church, what you're called to do is not try to come up with some kind of cute program and some kind of way of, of making people somehow believe it. We just give them the Word. We give them the Word and then trust the Word to do what God is going to do with it. God has promised He will save lost sinners through the power of His Word. And so we give the Word. We give it faithfully, lovingly. We give the Word to the world and then we trust that Word. We trust the Scriptures. We don't need to prop it up. We let it stand on its own two feet. Does it need our help? It doesn't need our assistance. It doesn't need our creativity. It doesn't need any of that. Of course, we want to try to bring methods to bear to try to bring it to the culture, but at the end of the day, if you're trusting in your ability to bring the Word to somebody and that ability to save them, you're trusting in something that's not going to work. You trust in the Scripture. It is sufficient. It's sufficient. It sounds so simple. I mean, all i got to do is give them the Word? Yes. Yes. That sounds too easy. You know, I need to do... No, you don't. Just give the Word. You live it, you love it, and you share it, and you trust it. And God will save, and God will sustain, and God will sanctify by this book. By this book. So you and I are called to submit to Scripture alone as the final authority 
on matters of faith and practice. And there are, in the church, I believe there are seven words that get us all tripped up. There are seven words that get us all bent out of shape. And there are seven words that I believe unknowingly or, uh, or unintentionally, there are seven words that sometimes lead us away from sola scriptura. Those seven words are this. We've never done it that way before. And so what we have gotten into this rut of doing is that we have got this way of operating and this way of doing things and we sometimes take those traditions and make those traditions on an equal par with the Bible. And we say, because we've always done it this way and because that was the way I was taught, that was the way I was raised, it must be Bible. It must be Bible. But that's where the medieval church got off track and I shared that a while ago. They got away from the Bible as the sole source of authority and began to prop up and elevate tradition to the point where tradition became on equal footing with the truth. And that's where we've got to be careful. If Christians are the people of the book, we must get in the book, the book must get into us, and we must submit to it and look to it as our sole and final authority. It has a last word. There's no greater authority no greater authority than the Word of God because it is God's Word. And so you and I and the church, we should never equate tradition with truth. Tradition can be helpful. Tradition is, is important. We don't want to just throw out tradition. But we take tradition and we analyze it through the lens of Scripture. And if there is anything that is traditional, that is not biblical, we always trust in and choose the biblical. It's what Sola Scriptura is all about. I invite you to come back tonight as we continue our study of this doctrine and how this transformed radically the church 500 years ago and how it is the essential doctrine of all the other ones because we only know God by what God has revealed to us. We don't know anything else about God than what He has chosen to reveal. And God has given us a revealed Word, the Word, the Holy Bible. We trust in what God has told us, what God shows us in Scripture, Scripture alone. Let's pray together.